If you aren't willing to be mocked, you'll never be able to lead. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Austin behind the scenes. This quote leads us into our guest today, Erica Suter. Coach Suter goes by the Fit Soccer Queen on social media, is the host of the Girls to Queens podcast, and is a leader in our field for long-term athletic development of the female population. And this is something that I brought her on to talk about and really dive deep into how to go about training the female population. And I think this is a valuable podcast and a valuable topic to cover because the female athletes that I train mention all the time that they wish they had a resource, a female resource to listen to more, uh, less of a meathead on Instagram, less of just squat this and just a bunch of dudes and cutoffs doing their thing. But the place for the females to go and really get information in that non-meathead, non-ego-filled way. And that's something that I think Coach Erica does an amazing job of. And we go down that rabbit hole today. We talk about the ACL epidemic and how we can solve that and how we can go about covering that. And she talks about her three pillars of movement, which I was a huge fan of. She also covers the importance of the, the holistic approach, which is something if you listen to this podcast, you understand that it's something that we value a ton. And she goes into how can we work on nutrition, how important sleep is for these female athletes and how we can adjust our workouts. And I put adjust in quotations here because as you talk to and you listen to our answer, it's not much of an adjustment from females to boys and how we can make this work in our holistic program. And we also cover her story of what it's like being a female coach in our very male dominant field. And I just found it was a it was a really cool light, a light in our field of how to lead from the front and how to be a trailblazer for what our field could become and hopefully for you. So hopefully you guys get something out of this podcast. Thank you guys for listening and thank you guys for the continued support. Before we hit the intro music, I wanted to introduce to you guys the Yoakum Strength Insider. The Yoakum Strength Insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers. Our goal with the Yoakum Strength Insider is to create better movers, to level up your life and to move forward from where you are. We do this in a holistic fashion. Not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, You'll also receive access to our app that allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises, and allows you to be in constant communication with a Yoakum Strength coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30-page PDF nutrition and lifestyle guidelines that includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use Podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. Marcus, you know what time it is. Hit that intro music. Boom. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite level guests to unravel what high performance really is. I just want to hear you hear, hear your story, kind of your philosophy and kind of how you approach the field. Sure. I have been in performance for about 10 years. I actually started in the skills-based world. So I was doing more soccer skills lessons, but then I quickly realized after a year that I wasn't helping the overuse injury problem. I was actually part of the problem. And I had always had strength and conditioning in my life. I started at a really young age when I was in middle school and I saw the benefits 
through my own soccer career um, in middle school, high school, and when I played in college at Johns Hopkins University. So when I was wondering if I should leave the skills world and go into strength and conditioning, I just reflected back on how much strength and conditioning had served me and that I wanted to go all into that. So I ended up getting my CSCS in 2013. And then I went back to school to get my master's in exercise science and performance enhancement while also working in a facility full time. So I was immersed in the academic world and the X's and O's and the science while also applying what I learned. And I really thought that was the best way to go about it because a lot of students, exercise science students will just do the schooling and not get their feet wet and have no application at all. And then when they get that first strength and conditioning job, they're like, whoa, how do I handle a group of 20 athletes in front of me right now? Everyone's different. Everyone is different body mechanics and personalities. I learned nothing in school on how to do this. So I was really grateful at the time to be doing both. And I am just so glad I, I left the skills world because what I was seeing a lot of was overuse injuries and in female athletes. I was looking at the ACL epidemic numbers and the numbers haven't gotten better in the past decade. The, the increase has still been very substantial on how many female athletes are getting ACL reconstruction surgery. So I just immersed myself in my schooling. I learned from mentors in the, the youth development space and soon learned that these kids need a couple things for a, a long-term healthy career. They need a variety of movement and that, that free play, and they need to stop being pushed into specialization of organized sports, at least before high school, because otherwise they're going to be overusing the same muscle groups over and over again. And they're also not developing their cognitive function to handle spontaneous settings in, in their sport. So it's very important that they get that variety, but it's also important that they get that strength training so that they're able to handle the violent actions of their sport. So deceleration is a big one for female athletes. All ACL injuries are caused by an inability to decelerate and to control their momentum. And a lot of these injuries are happening non-contact. So they're highly preventable. So in order to train that deceleration, they need the, the motor learning behind it and getting in the proper position, but also the strength aspect and to be able to handle and absorb those high forces. So I just have been doing this for several years now, and I have seen very minimal ACLs in the girls that I've worked with, but I've also seen girls go from elementary to high school, and they've improved in their speed acceleration so incredibly much. And it's almost, it's like magic, you know, <laughs> like I feel I'm still in on a secret here. And a lot of people are still getting on board with this female athlete performance, physical preparation world. And that's why I try to just share as much content as I can when I'm not coaching sessions. So parents realize that these things are non-negotiable. Yeah. And I love that magic part that you mentioned, because I, I mentioned that a lot, uh, even with the general population clients that I work with that don't have the background of athletes. It's like you give them the structure. And I love that you, the three things that you laid out, the variety of movement, the lack of specialization and the, and the strength training, and you give them that structure 
And for many people, that is magic just because they, they don't have that. They don't have that piece in there. So they, they hop on board and like, wow, like the injuries are going down. The speed is going up. It's like, it's magic. It's like, well, it's not really magic. It's just kind of the, the pillars and foundation. But if it's working like magic, let's let's keep going down that route. Yeah, exactly. And yes, it, it works like magic when you actually do it and stick with it. But for a lot of people, that's hard to do. And a lot of people aren't making this a priority. So that's the first step. It's it's making it a priority. And for for parents, it's it's becoming hard because they feel pressured. They feel pressured from sports organizations to not miss practices year round, to play with their soccer team in the summer offseason when they should be in the gym. So my advice is parents just need to do the exact opposite of what everyone else is doing <laughs> and they'll be okay. We, we look at all of the, the greats in professional sports and they all did early sampling and resistance training. The majority of them did. There's some outliers, but that's a tiny percentage of people. We should be following what the majority of people are doing. And I always say it's going to be really interesting in like the next decade to see what happens with this current generation who are early specializers. So we will see. But you still look at the ACL numbers and has it gotten better? It hasn't gotten better. So it's like, okay, well, we need to change what we're doing. We're in a broken system, but who can fix that? It's really the parents who can fix it. Yeah. But they they don't take action because of peer pressure. <laughs> well, and that, that, that's why I was interested. You mentioned how you were in the skill setting and you kind of had that epiphany of, all right, I'm not fixing this. And it is it is tough for people to do that, especially in the soccer world. I've been getting into the soccer world just because more of our clients are soccer athletes. And the more I talk to them, the more it is. Yeah, I started when I was five and I've just been going. And I was, it's like, it's crazy. It's just like one sport since you've been five years old, one sport since you've been 11 years old. And that's all it is. How did you go about breaking out of that mold? Like, what, what was it for you that's like, oh, because you, you also grew up in the soccer world where it probably was like that for you yourself. How, how did you do it? How did you break out? What was the like light bulb moment to get yourself out of that world? It was just seeing overuse injuries happening over and over again that are, again, highly preventable. And they shouldn't be happening in 10 to 13-year-old girls. And that was the main population who I was working with at the time. And I still work with this population. They're my favorite group to work with because there's so many changes and growth happening. And I was seeing a lot of stress fractures uh, nagging knee pain and IT band syndrome, hamstring strains, quad strains. And it was due to a lack in strength. And there was no durability of the, the muscle tissue to handle these same movements over and over again. So I was just like, I need to stop this. I'm, I'm not helping. And I'm very hard on myself when I look back on what I was doing, because maybe my skills training wasn't causing all this because there's so many factors to injury, but looking at the literature as well, a lot of this overuse and anterior dominated movements does cause a lot of these issues in young female athletes and just the constant impact and jogging and jumping and changing direction. If their muscles aren't strong, then their bones aren't going to be strong to handle that. And that could also lead to stress fractures. So those were, were my light bulb moments. I was just seeing too many injuries that could be prevented. And what is, and I know it probably depends per parent and per situation. 
But what is your kind of system to turn that light bulb on for the parents? Because that's something that is important. Like you said, like you, you, you and I can have this knowledge. You can, you and I can have this conversation, but if the parent, if the ultimate decider for the athlete doesn't have that information, doesn't buy into that information is, and is being peer pressured from the outside. And they're still going to put their kid through that route in getting injured. How are you going about trying to educate the parents and trying to really turn that light bulb on to, Hey, you do need strength training. Hey, this is going to help long-term. I try to just relate to the parents as much as possible and just simplify it all for them. And I tell them, look, this is, this is your child's career. A lot of parents want their kid to play in college. And if their bodies aren't able to handle those violent actions in the game, they're one more susceptible to injury. And two, they're more likely to be outrun by, by their opponents who are stronger and bigger than them. So I, that's, I don't try to get too much into it with parents. I just keep it really simple. And now I'm at the point where I just, I'm tired of selling people on this. (laughs) Like you either feel called to do it or you don't. I'm just speaking from the heart and letting you know what, what your child needs, why the system is destroying their bodies and causing these ACL injuries and overuse. And then if they aren't ready to receive that message, then that's fine with me. But usually people come back around and it breaks my heart that they have to learn it the hard way, but they'll go through an overuse injury and be like, oh, there's actually something to what Coach Erica was saying. And that sadly is the situation. And I'm trying to stop as many people before that happens. But sadly, they have to go through that moment to actually make a change and be like, well, what I was currently doing was not working for me. <laughs> and when when you get them into the gym, because there's also kind of the, the dark side of the gym, the dark side of strength conditioning that is also causing injury. And I think we see that in the football world a little more, maybe a little bit more than the soccer world, because the football world's all weight room, all weight room and zero field stuff. So it's like zero variety. All they know is the barbells. So whenever they have to do any variety based movement, it's usually not good for them. It doesn't end up in the best way. When you get them into the gym, what does kind of a day look like? What are you, what are your kind of your methods and principles and what are you really trying to attack with them? So in my contracts before anyone even starts with me, I lay out the the template and what the time frame looks like. So for a middle school girl, for example, her parents are like, we're ready to do this. We're, we're ready to get in the gym and we're going to train twice a week with you year round. And th- that's the ideal situation for everyone. <laughs> and I tell them, here's what we're going to start with. We're going to start with body weight first. We're going to get the the movement patterns down. We're going to work on her balance. We're going to work on her coordination. And then from these basic skills, this time frame is going to be anywhere from like eight to 10 weeks to like truly master that sometimes a little longer, depending on the athlete or how mature they are. And then after that, we will start to load, we will start to build some strength. And then when they get to high school, then we can do the strength movements that where we go fast and develop more power and we do more resisted sprints or sled sprints. So just really laying out that long-term process with the parents and just showing them a template really helps. And it also gets the girls on board in the gym. So when we are doing body weight squats for those first several weeks there, they know that they have a place to go and it's not like we're rushing this or we're being negligent with how we're training them. Um, I've had parents in the past, not 
be ready for that long-term process. And those are actually clients that I can't take on because I, my number one goal is to make sure these girls are safe. And if a parent's going to try and rush the, the process and to load them too soon or to get specific too soon, then that's, that becomes a liability for me. And it's like, well, if you want to go to a trainer like that, fine, that's your decision, but here's how we do it. So that the health of your child is the priority in this facility. And I think that long-term development, like we mentioned, like long-term consistency, it doesn't, I mean, it does matter what the program is, but if you are able to get that long-term consistency, the amount of change you can make in that year even if you start, like you said, you start at that body weight, how much change you can make in that year if you're consistent for an entire year blows people's minds. But like you said, most people don't want to do the year. They want to do the three week. They want to do the the, the 12 week to shredded program. You know, it's it's that year long. And then even year to five years to 10 years, the how crazy of a difference you can make in that time. And it's just, I like the point of like laying that out for them, like getting them to commit to its consistency and long-term change that we are going for, not the three-week program where we're going to load them up and show you how I clicked my stopwatch faster in three weeks. Yeah. It's it's so crazy that with the strength and conditioning world, people think it's like this three-week thing, even, even three months. And three months is like my minimum I'll take someone on. But I ideally recommend, hey, you need to see what, what happens in six months to a year. But if you have a, again, I always give the example of a middle school girl because it's so important to get them young to learn the, the movement patterns and the motor skills. And then to keep building off that foundation, you can really change someone's body and performance in a year. It's incredible. And you don't need to get too wild with it. You can keep everything super simple. Um, and I actually just recently talked about how like each year in a youth athlete's life is a chance to continue to level up. Like your sports career is never going to be this short term thing. Like you, you can't get complacent with it. And when I was a young athlete, I always wanted to see how far I could take it. Like how much faster could I get in seventh grade? Okay. Now eighth grade, how can I shave milliseconds off of this? Okay. Ninth grade, 10th grade. You can always get faster, especially as a youth athlete goes through that growth and maturation process. And they start to put on more muscle or they get taller and they have a longer stride length. That's why it's such a process because you're putting the training with what's going on with them in their growth physiologically. And that's when it gets really cool. And I even say when I went to college, I had a very successful high school career. I was on one of the best teams in the state and got recruited to play at Johns Hopkins. I could have gotten so arrogant and complacent from just having such a successful high school career with all these accolades. But that freshman year of college, that was when the real work began. Everything I had just done, it was important, but what I'm about to do now is going to get even crazier. I can get more explosive. I can get faster. I can improve my max velocity times. I can get stronger. That's when the real work happens. And I always laugh when parents of really young kids roll their eyes at the three-month commitment. You know, I'm just like, you guys have no idea. I don't even know if you're going to be ready to be a Division One athlete at this point. Yeah. <laughs> And you, you said like you, when you get to college, like you can take it to the next step because you've spent the time building that foundation. Like when I, I work at the University of St. Thomas, there's so many freshmen that we get that 
it's like, all right, we're going to, we have to go back and build a lot of stuff before we do any, because that, and that's, it's like a lot of them are like, all right, we're going to get faster more. It's like a lot of it's just like, we got to fix a lot of the, the, the past stuff. Otherwise, like you're going to get hurt. Like you, you have a lot of liabilities here. We got to fix this. Whereas if they can come in and we, we have athletes from really good strength programs that come in, it's like, yeah, like your, your foundation's built. Yes, we can continue to build it, but yeah, now it's time to layer on, layer on, layer on. But like you said, it's like, they, they want to skip these steps. They they want to go from the middle schooler to the college to the to the all American to the pro. You know, it's there's so many layers that you got to build. And if you don't build it, at some point you're going to have to. Like at some point you're going to have to go back. So the time that you don't want to spend now, you're going to have to come back. You can never skip that step. It doesn't matter what age you're at. You're going to have to go back and build that. And I see it all the time with our freshmen coming in. So that's something that I think just continuing to emphasize with them too, is you never get to skip it. Like age, whatever, like your experience, you're never going to get to skip it. You're always going to have to, at some point, come back and fix it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if people also want to really progress and do those more advanced drills that you see on social media, all the more reason to stay consistent. So you can actually get to that point. A lot of people will see the post and they're like, oh, I want to do that. And it's like, well, you don't see the amount of effort that went into getting to that point. That athlete who you're looking at on social media has years of this stuff under their belt. And a lot of it is very mundane and very basic. <laughs> but of course, everyone shows their highlights. And I actually was telling a, a girl the other day, she's like one of my most consistent girls. She tw trains twice a week year round. and we finally progressed to uh, pistol squats. And those are the ultimate way to, or the ultimate exercise to build single leg strength for ACL injury prevention. And we started with bilateral goblet squats for, for many months. And then we did different split squat and lunge variations. And then we finally got to this exercise where it's like, okay, now we can really start building some single leg strength. So it's just, it's just reminding these girls, like, look, here's where you started. Now here's where we are. And we're just going to keep going with this. The progressions are endless. And that's always good to just keep that in mind and to just keep letting them know, like, this is still going to be a process. There's really no end here. Yeah. And I thought, th I think that, that, that kind of start the finishing is super cool. See, uh, I was training, uh, she, her name is CJ and, uh, she's a, she's a center fielder for the softball team. And the first time she tried to do, she was in the gym and she was messing around. She's like, I can't do pistol squats. I'd really like to do pistol squats and was unable to. Uh, and she could barely, she'd like barely do one on like with the heel elevated and like taking away some of the ankle mobility. And so we, we had a video of day one of her attempting, uh, not able to get any depth, falling over, no stability there. And eight months later, she was able to do five in a row with 30 pounds in each hand. And it's like, once you show them that, all of the ISOs that you make them do, all of the like foundational stuff that they hate kind of in the moment makes it pay off for them. They're like, oh my goodness. Like, and that and that's where you get to look at it as a coach. And what's really cool for me is like, that's a completely different athlete. Like that's a same person, but a completely different body that they're able to do completely different things with. And how far can we take that with our athletes? It's it's the best thing to see. Like it's the best thing to see that that strength and and the adaptations you give them paying off. And again, it's, it's just that endless pursuit of continuing to level up and it continues even when you age. And, and that's all the more reason, like when you stop playing your sport after college or pro or whatever it is, 
you need to go even harder at that point. Your, your muscle is going to start to atrophy. Once you hit 30, you're going to lose fast twitch muscle fibers in your thirties and forties. So you have to continue to stimulate your body and to just continue to level up and get stronger and be a, a healthy functioning human. So a lot of what we're doing is cool for sports performance, but it's also teaching them, Hey, this stuff's important for you to just play the sport of life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when you, you talked about progressing from that bilateral lift and you, you you're continuing to touch on the, the, the long-term development, bilateral, the unilateral, and just investing in the minimum three months. What are some of your KPIs when you're working with these athletes? Is there something that it's like, all right, we, we, we have this checked off. We can go to the next thing. What, how are you kind of approaching that to make sure that that progression is right for you, right for that athlete? Mm-hmm. Well, I am, I evaluate my athletes weekly. Um, I do have an initial assessment and I do a lot of isometrics because those really work on their muscular endurance and expose which sides are weaker than the other. So I do a lot of lunge isometrics and I also do uh, max hangs, uh, pull up holds as well. Um, so for the standards, for those, the lunge isos, I want all my athletes to get definitely over 60 seconds, especially the middle school girls. And then the high school girls, definitely over 90 seconds. And then for max hangs, I want girls getting over 60 seconds and then high schoolers over 90 seconds. And with those, we're evaluating them weekly. I also add in a max crawl. So really working on the core endurance and also just the stability of the trunk and making sure there's no pelvic rotation. And they're, they're really able to stabilize that area because that shows me that they can do that in change of direction movement. So for the max crawl, we'll go for a long time. We'll go for over 90 seconds. I've had girls get over five minutes and they have to keep uh, an object or a cone on their back and really focus in on that core stability. But um, in addition to those, I'll just use the coach's eye. So if they're proving to me that they can execute a bilateral movement with full range of motion loaded, then we can move on to a split stance or a single leg. And then if they can get that body weight, then we'll load that. So just making sure that they're a getting full range of motion, they can do it body weight with perfect form. And then eventually we'll, we'll load it. And that usually takes like six, six to 12 weeks, depending on how mature the girl is again and what her training age is. I love those three tests. Those are something that we do all the time at the gym. Is the, the, oh, the they're ice, so good. <laughs> yeah, you know, the lunge, the hangs, and the crawls. You can tell. I mean, even even if you cut out the lunge, and I, we we do lunges all the time, but even if you just watch them crawl and watch them hang, it, like you can tell so much about the athlete in those two exercises alone. Yeah, it's yeah the crawling especially, and that like that core stability is so critical, especially for female athletes. And this is when I get so angry at coaches who still do sit-ups and Russian twists (laughs) because there's just, there's so much literature behind how the, the stability of the trunk impacts the stability of the lower extremity. And if they're doing any lateral shifting in the trunk, then that's going to make their knee very unstable and very precarious. And it is a risk factor for ACL. So it's like, the sit-ups and Russian twists aren't going to cause too much damage, but you need to be picking exercises that give bang for buck. And I really recommend the the crawling or just different plank variations like plank up downs or a slow plank 
shoulder taps or like a one arm plank and making sure their hips are facing the ground, just exercises that are transferable to the sport and deceleration, but also just really working on the stability of the trunk so that the knee stays nice and stable. Well, even selling, selling the athletes is a lot of times like they're doing the sit-ups and Russian twists for the like six minute abs, like for the trying to get that. And the amount of text I've got and just like, Oh my God, from, I'm, my core is so sore from crawling. It's like, it, they don't like, they don't yeah. piece crawling with like working the core, but once you're actually able to get them crawling and moving, like you can kind of sell them on it a little bit more. One, not like one, one of the biggest things is trying to sell them on you. Like the abs don't mean anything, you know, like you're sit up, like <laughs> if, if anything, you just eat better. Like let's focus on the food and nutrition aspect of it. Yeah. And not do those. But two, if you do want an exercise for it, we got much better, much better exercise selection than your six minute abs, uh, sit up routine that you got. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, like a a couple of sit-ups here and there, or like once a week, it's not going to crush anyone, but if it's done every day, super high rep, then that's when I would be concerned, especially because during the growth spurt, the spine is still lengthening. And we want to make sure that they're a getting enough vitamin D and calcium to support that growth, but they're also strengthening the, the, um, stabilizing muscles around like anterior core and in the back to support the health of the spine. I've seen a lot of, um, low back stress fractures from just coaches being careless about these sit-up movements and not discussing things like proper nutrition and and really supporting the the growth of the bones. That's not talked a lot about in the female athlete population. Mm -hmm. And one of the main reasons I brought you specifically on was to bring a female perspective from the field. And when I'm talking with my female athletes this past year, that was something that they really said they, they would love to hear from. They would just love to have a resource for is this female perspective. And I'm interested in how you see training the female athlete and training the male athlete and the differences between the two and how we're kind of maybe butchering it in a field. Because I think there's two ways we can butcher it. We can butcher it in the training sense, which I want to hear. I want to hear you talk about uh, the intensity, the volume, the difference there. And then also butchering it in the cultural sense and how you kind of go about fixing that too. Of It's like not having the macho man GM, not um, not intimidating them out of it, not making it to where it's not a good culture for the female athlete to come in and get their work done. I'm interested in how you approach these two things, how how you kind of see these two things and how you think we're kind of butchering them in the field and what fixes you think that we can do to really attack these things to make it more of a, a female-friendly culture in the training sense. So there really is not much different. So boys and girls are going to train very similar. They're going to do their movement pattern work. They're going to work on coordination and sprint mechanics and deceleration. They're also going to build total body strength. The only difference I would say, because I've trained uh, boys soccer players, I've also trained a lot of lacrosse players. The only difference is sometimes the boys just want to do like their arm work at the end and add in some bicep curls. And that's fine. I'm not going to say no, especially if we have time for it. I don't care if it makes you feel good. If it improves your body composition, great. I don't care. Um, Girls tend to not care as much about, you know, getting buys and tries. Um, They might want to do like extra glute work which I'm totally okay with because the stronger the hips you have, the the more stable your knee is going to be. And the more horsepower you're going to have for things like acceleration and and jumping, and you're going to be able to land better. But there's, yeah, there's not really much of a difference. The only thing I would also say is just being cognizant of just nutritional needs 
and having these conversations on certain nutrients that female athletes tend to be deficient in as opposed to male athletes. So for female athletes, the biggest ones are vitamin D and calcium to really support bone growth. Uh, Also getting enough iron because they, they lose a lot of it with their menstrual cycle or because they might be training too much. They need that iron for, for energy. Sometimes when they're really exhausted, we, we assume that it, it might be an iron deficiency. And then another one is making sure they're getting magnesium magnesium and magnesium helps with vitamin D absorption. So, and it also is a muscle relaxer and calms the nervous system. So it's really good for sleep. But other than that, there's not too much to pay attention to, of course, the menstrual cycle, but there's so much conflicting research behind the the menstrual cycle. And if female athletes are more susceptible to ACL injuries when they're on their period uh, versus when they're not, all we know is that during the cycle, female athletes will experience common symptoms such as fatigue or bloating or digestive issues or maybe disrupted sleep. So everyone individually needs to pay attention to when they're getting these symptoms and then they need to take action to help regulate and manage these symptoms. So if someone is having disrupted sleep, do you need to go to bed earlier? Do you need to eat more magnesium rich foods? Do you need to get off tech and just making sure that they're in tune with how they're feeling in their body and they're actually taking action to take care of themselves. Otherwise they're not going to feel energized. They're, they might be in a bad mood. They might not feel motivated. Um, so I urge female athletes listening to get clear on how they're feeling. Try not to mask it with a pill or a Tylenol or a melatonin. Don't do any of that. Start with just basic natural solutions first through your food, getting better sleep, going for a relaxing walk, and just trying to calm your nervous system and get the nourishment your body needs. Yeah. And I think a lot can be said to not just female athletes, but everybody listening is probably stop masking stuff with some of the pills that we're kind of taking. (laughs) Uh, Stop stop with the pre-workouts and the caffeine, you know? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, when you, you, you said that you, you work with the male athletes that the cross guys trying to do arms. Um, do you train the, the female and male athletes at the same time in the same setting? How, how does that, what's your setup like that? Yes. Uh, when I was, so when I was in Maryland, I trained a lot of boys soccer players with girls soccer players and also, uh, boys lacrosse players with girls soccer and lacrosse players. So everyone was in the same setting, but everyone had their own, uh, program packet. So they were doing different movements. Uh, obviously they were doing different weights. Everyone was tracking their weight each week. Everyone had similar sets and reps and progressive overload, but everyone was keeping track of what they were lifting. Even amongst the girls, every one girl might've been doing a a 20 pound goblet squat while another girl was doing a 60 pound goblet squat. So it's, it's really about just writing the program for the individual athlete as well, and not necessarily based on gender. And a, a lot of people will say, well, female athletes are more susceptible to ACL because of their gender. But the research now says that they're more susceptible to ACL injury because of poorly designed programs and lack of performance training. That is the number one risk factor. It's not that she's female. You're just not giving her good training. <laughs> you, know? Uh-huh. So you can take action. You can take action on that gender. You can't, you know, you can't really do much about, but you can change the program 
which well, is I, great. You can control it. <laughs> I, I love that because that's something that I, I was interested in that because that's something that I get a question about all the time. I, I, we have our females and males train at the same time and doing very similar things. Like you said, it, it's personalized in a sense of, all right, she, she's at this level. He's at this level. Uh, they're doing this. They're doing this. And but it's not all right, we're going to group together the females, we're going to group together the males and then program them in different senses. And I, and honestly, like, I think I love the training environments when there's females and males. Like I, I mentioned this a lot on the podcast, but you have the, we, we have this uh, female soccer player that has a great gymnastics background. And when we're doing movement type stuff, she's phenomenal at it. And she's like, she excels, she crushes all the football guys, but the football guys can look at her watching her do some of the stuff that we do. And they're like, okay, that's possible. Like I, I your body can do that. I can, I can work through that. I can do it. I can put my body in those positions. And that inspires the football player to want to do more of the movement stuff. And then we have the female athlete watching maybe just a big football guy moving a lot of weight. And she can be like, okay, I can move. Like it inspires a little bit to move some of the weight and the, the competition between the two. And this is where ISOs kind of come together with them too, because both of them both do lunch ISOs. And a lot of our gym records are held by the females in our group for a lunch. Like they, they crush them, you know? So then you get like the two different aspects of it competing and like inspiring. And then you come together with the ISOs where they can all compete for the same time. Like it, it's your body weight. We're holding your body weight. We're doing some of these things. And the, the upper body strength is a little bit different, with, but with a lot of the lower body strength stuff, a lot of our isometric records are held by the females and it's really cool to see them push, like push to a different limit and everybody doing it at once, not trying to segregate in a sense. Yeah, you nailed it. The Just having that combination in, in the facility of boys and girls, it makes it more competitive and it really adds to the culture. And I really like it, especially for the running days so that they can race and, and really compete instead of just, you know, looking at the timer. Uh, yes, timing speed drills is crucial, but also just having that competitive aspect is really good. And that's when your athletes will really start to work and give a crap. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm interested then in hearing what it's like for you, because we do have a very male dominant field. Uh, I, I'm, tr- I'm even trying to think of like me growing up. Like, I don't think we, 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 I maybe had one female strength presence and it was very briefly, it was for like a month and she was an intern at her college. And that was the only time I remember. And this is, this is a college I go to where it was all the female athletes had the same coaches I had. So it's a very male dominant field. What was that like for you getting into the field and navigating the field where you in a sense are kind of a trailblazer you in a sense are kind of leading people and showing people how it can be done what was that like for you in the in the male dominant field i love this question because i have a very different answer than other female coaches um so i've had a really good experience i've never thought that like being a female coach would hold me back if anything it's actually given me really great opportunities and i recognize those and i'm thankful for those and i am not you know someone who's like well just because i'm female like i don't get as much as guys that w- wasn't the case but i just like anyone else just like my male colleagues, I've, I've had to work hard. I've had to go to school. I had to get my degrees and certifications. I've had to get my feet wet. I've had to make mistakes and learn from them and continue to get better at what I do. And that's how I always saw it because I wanted to continue to learn how to serve my athletes and to make sure I was staying on top of the industry and just keeping them healthy and really improving their performance. And I don't want female athletes or any girls to be deterred from an industry that's male dominated. But you also have to realize that it is going to be hard work. And I've I've heard a lot of complaints from female coaches that 
you know, it's so hard and, you know, we're overworking and it's like, well, you guys chose this industry. You knew, you knew going in, it was going to be hard. And like, I think any industry is difficult. And if you want to reach a high level, if you want to work in college strength and conditioning, or if you want to work for the pros and you're a woman, yeah, you're going to have to prove yourself. Like you're not going to be handed everything, but I always found it, find it so interesting. And I'm going down a complete rabbit hole. A lot of women will be like, well, I was just hired because I'm a woman. And I'm like, well, what do you, ex- like, what do you expect? Like, isn't that what you wanted, <laughs> you know, like, but everyone just needs to work hard and continue to master their craft and just, you know, just do what you do from the heart. And this industry is not for everyone. And I know women who are leaving professional sports because they're burnt out and that's okay. That's okay to come to that realization. If you can't handle it and you realize that you want to do something else and have a more relaxed life, that's fine. If you want to work in the private sector like me and make your own schedule and not be overstressed, then do that. But like in the beginning, it is going to be hard, especially if you want to prove yourself and, and make a name for yourself. Yeah. And, and you mentioned at the start of that rabbit hole that the kind of unique, um, unique route that you can take as a female. And that's something that I think is, and I, I have a uh, friend that is, she's getting started in the, in the industry. And uh, I actually have an intern that actually, yeah, she, uh, she just, I think she just passed her CSCS. And she's just getting into it too. And that's something that I talked to her about too. It's like, I think it's honest. It's, it's a great opportunity because there's a gap in the market a little bit, especially private sector of there's so many female athletes that would love a female presence as their coach, like would love and less intimidate. Like there's less of a, the meathead presence. It's just like, there's something they can relate to. And, and there's a huge gap in that industry that I see just looking at it business wise. And it's like, let's go crush that. Like, let's, let's feel this, like bring your expertise, bring your knowledge, bring your different perspective to that piece. Cause you're the only one that has that. And that's individually, that's for everybody. Like you're the only one that has your individual perspective. And like you said, own that. But as a female specifically, like there's so many athletes looking for the answer that only you can provide and let, let's, let's bring that answer to them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think everyone's situation is going to be very unique with this and, People just need to get clear on what they they want from a career and what type of environment they want to work in. Do they want to work in a stress and high pressure environment in the pros and college? Do they want to be on the road the whole time? Is it worth the costs? Then go for it. Um, but if you want to be in the private sector, which like you said, there is a big shortage of female coaches, then, then do it. You have the opportunity to be really creative and you can be more individual with your programs and not feel so tied to management <laughs> or a, you know, a facility owner or someone. So just know what you want out of a career. That's probably my best advice. But with anything, it's going to be really hard work. So um, I, it's always interesting because a, a lot of female coaches will be like, I feel like I always have to you know, just like prove myself extra. And I'm like, yeah, you do. Like, <laughs> like, you know, why, why wouldn't you want to prove yourself and continue to get better and learn? Like, I see that as a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome. I just continues to drive them. Pri- yeah. Private sector wise, or e- even college wise, do you have any specific advice like for young female strength coaches, this is from the intern that, that meant she wanted me to ask you this, any young, like specific, they're just trying to start out. They're just trying to get going. Do you have any specific advice for them to like, Hey, I messed this up. I wish I would have did this, that type of thing. 
well, yeah, just mess up a lot, you know, uh, coming back to just getting your feet wet coaches, many athletes, age groups, personalities, uh, as, as possible, as many sports as possible. And that that's really going to help you because you are going to mess up. You might coach a movement wrong or your programs might suck in the beginning, but you'll, you'll always learn from it. And it's also critical during this time to have really good mentors like yourself and other, other people in the industry to follow. And just, if you need like more detailed mentoring, I rec- I would actually recommend that over like a big box conference where they just kind of like gloss over like general programming. So I would rather just people dial in on the, the details with, with mentorship, especially if they want to go into the private sector, because then they would learn about not just like the programming and the coaching, but also business marketing, uh, PR and accounting. <laughs> like you, you wear so many hats, you don't even realize it. <laughs> She's, she's going to love that answer because I tell her that all the time. She's like, just mess up. Like, this is the only way you're going to, the only way you're going to truly go at it is if you completely mess up. And I do it the same yeah. way. I tell her all the time, I look back on a program or even a marketing tech, anything. I look back up from three years ago, five years ago. I'm like, oh my goodness, what was I doing? But that, yeah. that start is what led to what I feel like is semi better now. And in five years, I'm going to look back on what I'm doing now and probably think the same thing. Mm-hmm. And with like the programming and this is just going on a different tangent, it, it doesn't need to be overcomplicated. A lot of strength coaches get caught up in just like the different types of periodization. But as long as your athletes are mastering the basics and progressively overloading those and having some training variability, whether it's a different stance or a different plane of motion, you're good. Um, just don't do the same thing over and over again. Don't do too much variability and specific stuff, but just slowly like sprinkling it in, then you're fine. Yeah. And it's like we mentioned throughout this podcast, the continual process of leveling up, even though it's not sexy in the moment, it's not sexy in the exercise that you program, that continual process of leveling up is what's going to lead to the difference. Not the, not the Instagram post. 100%. Yeah. You can always level up. I don't care who you are, whether you're a 10 year old or a 60 year old. (laughs) Well, boom. And let's get to the rapid fire rounds now. And these are three of my favorite questions I like asking guests. And the first one is, some of your favorite books. And I would like to hear anything that if you think there's a, that you think a young female strength coach can get a lot out of it, there's a specific book there. And then just your favorite books in general, they don't have to be strength conditioning related at all, or they could be either or your choice. Um, my first favorite book, it's, I have it right in front of me. It's called play how it shapes the brain, opens the imagination and invigorates the soul written by Dr. Stuart Brown. So this is good. If you work with youth athletes, it's all about how like unstructured and unsupervised play and even aggressive play is really good for kids, especially ages six to 13, when their, their brains are starting to wire and they're developing all these motor skills and they're learning to navigate social situations, to manage their aggression. Play is one of the best books I've read for youth development. And it's not a strength and conditioning book. It's, it's a medical book. So it talks a lot about like the physical and the cognitive benefits. And then this is not a strength and conditioning book, but I would say uh, 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I'll just let people read it because it's it's dense, (laughs) but it's just a, a really good book for just becoming someone who has good morals and who can 
really make themselves better and realize that you have both good and bad inside you and how to really tap into your good to help the world. And it's really all about growing as an individual before you judge other people. If you judge other people and you criticize everyone else, then that means you have a lot of work to do within yourself. So it's like, it's a long book, but it's like a massive call out. <laughs> I think about 70% of my athletes receive that book from me at, at some so point. In yeah, yeah. We, we uh, need Jordan Peterson right now. <laughs> and his, his ability, I mean, on a, just a little Jordan Peterson, his ability to take super, super complex topics and psychological studies and just turn them into a story is something that like, that, that when I watch him speak and I, I'm watching him write, that is something that I take as a coach. Like I need, yeah. this is, this is my goal. Like to be able to communicate the way he communicates. Yeah. Yeah. He's like so good at articulating himself. So yeah, beyond just reading the book, watch his interviews. He doesn't have any ums or likes in his speech. He's just very direct and has just a wide variety of vocab words. And you're like, wow, this guy sounds novel every time he speaks. <laughs> and he he talks about, sorry, continuing the rabbit hole, but he he talks about on his, I think it was his biblical, or maybe it was his 12 rules for life um, lectures that he did. He did the whole lecture series where he was traveling all around the world. And in one of the lectures, he talks about how he doesn't, he stopped doing PowerPoints and he doesn't write out what he's going to say uh, until like 20 minutes before he goes on stage because he wants it to be a conversation with the audience, which is something that I thought was super cool. He's like, when it's a PowerPoint and when it's all laid out, it's you have an endpoint. Whereas, and he's, he said that the, the audience kind of knows when that's the end point and that's what they're paying attention to is the end point. Whereas when it's a conversation and a journey with the audience, nobody knows where it's going to go. And that, that's where the, the genius kind of sparks itself is that, is that, I mean, it's a chaos and order balance of like navigating through that chaos to come to the order. Yeah, absolutely. And his lectures are fantastic. And I definitely recommend everyone watches those. There's so many. It's fantastic. And to, to finish our Jordan Peterson uh, rabbit hole there, uh, <laughs> next question. And this is something uh, I've, been, I've been told and recommended to have more female guests on the podcast over and over again. Uh, I'm interested if you have a guest that you think we should have on, a female guest that you think we should have on to continue that kind of diversification of our podcast. Yes, I would say my Girls to Queens podcast co-host, Jenna Bradshaw, G-E-N-A, spelled like Gina, <laughs> but she's, she works with female athletes as well. And she's a former division one track athlete. So she does a lot of track athletes. Boom. And then the last question of the podcast, and this is when all the, all the coaching stuff is over, all the podcast stuff is over. What do you kind of want your legacy to be? What? What do you, what do you want your legacy to be? Oh, my legacy. Oh, wow. That's a really, I didn't even look at these questions beforehand. I, I want people and not just female athletes. I want everyone to understand how powerful their body is and mind is. And like we've mentioned in the episode, you can always level up. You can always strengthen your body. You can always 
get out of adversity. You can always make yourself more creative. You can always just become this robust human being and you can always master new skills, whether it's sports or something else you want to learn. Like people are so capable. It's ridiculous, but you have to, you have to realize it first and then you have to take action on it. And that's what I want my female athletes to understand, but also non non athletes to understand. And especially gen pop and just making sure that people continue to live their most fulfilled and and strong life even when they get older boom that's a great way to end the podcast thank you guys for being on yeah thank you for having me this is awesome thank you guys for listening keep chopping wood thank you for listening Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.